This episode is brought to you by Redeemer University. Your university years are some of the most important in your life, and where you choose to study matters. Redeemer University, located just outside of Hamilton, Ontario, offers 40 different degree programs, all taught from a Christian perspective. A one-of-a-kind experience that weaves faith and education together, Redeemer prepares you for your future career and helps deepen your faith, all while building Christian friendships that last a lifetime. Learn more and apply when you visit Redeemer.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to the Real Talk Podcast. Uh, today's show, we are talking about real estate with two gentlemen who spend a fair amount of time, I think it's fair to say, thinking about that topic. Mm-hmm. So uh, we brought in Tyler as well to co-host this episode, so uh, we got him here on Zoom and then the three of us uh, live and in person in the studio, so should be a fun one. Hope you people enjoy We're going to talk, yeah, everything real estate, probably get into money a little bit. <laughs> How sound is it? Uh, yeah, we're in, we're in some interesting tough times right now. Economically, high interest rates. Uh, it's, it can be tough to get ahead, tough to stay afloat. You're even. coming on hard times there, Lucas? Uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling the pinch, man. I'm on a variable, so it, it sucks. It sucks yeah. in a big way. So I feel your pain. Yeah, you know it. You know it, Brent. So. Anywho, uh, yeah, so Brent Vanderwood and Mark Crickey, welcome to the show, boys. Thank and, you, thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, maybe yeah, you want to just introduce yourselves, your background a little bit, how you got into real estate. Brent, you've been here before, so we'll go to Mark first. Well, my name's Brent, and... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, wait, my name's Mark. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, along with my wife, uh, Kirsten, we run Joy Hill Property Management, so... We um, mainly manage short-term rentals, short and medium-term rentals for uh, investors, and uh, we're real estate investors as well, and we're looking at the U.S. market actually now, not big fans of the Canadian market, especially for short and uh, mid-term rentals, but um, yeah, we, uh, we're we in real estate, we like talking about it, and uh, we also love macroeconomics, so kind of zooming out from real estate, looking at the bigger uh, economic picture. And that's mm-hmm. something we talk about a lot on the uh, Two yeah, Stewards show. Being a geek. With uh, Brent. Yeah, yeah, and a nerd. Yeah. Nice, nice. How about yourself, Brent? Yeah, so I'm Brent Vanderwood. Um, I run a company called Good Stewards, Inc. And obviously that comes from a, a Christian worldview where we uh, we try to help families, investors, people who are looking to access real estate as an investment um, to steward their wealth and uh, use real estate as a vehicle to do that. Um, so we, yeah, we basically help people source, uh, investment, uh, properties and opportunities, and then, uh, do the development work. A lot of the times when we're, when we're sourcing an investment opportunity, there's, um, more units, more dwelling units that need to be added, or there's some sort of development that needs to happen. So we jump in on that process and we help clients with that. And then we also, um, do tenant placements and management, um, at the end of the day. So. Um, source, develop, launch is kind of our um, three buckets for our services. Right on. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and is it only for like big money players or like can normal people get in or how does that work? <laughs> well, yeah. So I think our our vision is to try and assist um, people who aren't necessarily thinking about this topic, um, especially families and, um, you know, people who have never made an investment decision Um to to get in for the first time that's kind of our focus um and part of probably what we'll talk about today is um, just the impact of inflation Um, like you started off the top people feeling the pinch not really knowing where to turn Um, we're trying to provide a bit of education around what's kind of going on 
um, in the real estate market in the world um, at large. I talk, uh, Mark talked about macroeconomics, looking at some of those factors, and then how can we make wise decisions and help people who uh, are more or less getting railroaded over by inflation yeah. um, to invest and to get into the market right. um, and to benefit from that. And part of it, too, is to try and um, benefit our communities, right? Obviously, if you if you grow your wealth individually, you can help your yourself and your family, but you can also help uh, the broader community and um, be a bigger blessing to other people around. So right. Right. that's kind of our focus. Okay. So. And that education, I mean, obviously that would happen if you're working one-on-one with clients, but you guys yeah. also have the Two Stewards podcast as well, which you do on yeah. a weekly basis. Now that's mostly like real estate based, but you guys probably do touch on macroeconomics and some current <laughs> events on occasion uh, with oh, the odd dad joke here or there. Yeah, only, only every episode. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. is a lot of tangents. Yes. Yeah. Say. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, yeah, I mean, to understand, you know, to understand real estate in general, yeah. you need to kind of zoom out a little bit, right? A lot of people don't, a lot of people will buy and, and this is how you know, my wife and I started too. like, I think it's a good idea to buy another house, right? An investment property. I've, sure. I've seen other people do that. We should do that without really understanding why. But then when you really get into it, you want to understand like, why is it a good idea? Like, is it a good idea? Sure, yep. If it is, why is it? Mm-hmm. And then what, what are the factors that actually influence it? And to understand that you need to kind of zoom out a little bit and you can look at trends like local trends, like immigration, And we've talked about this a fair bit uh, between Brent and myself, right? Supply and demand, immigration, how that affects supply and demand, ideal locations for real estate investing. So you're kind of getting out wider. But then, you know, why do house prices go up? Because that's usually why people will buy real estate, right? We're very focused on cash flow, but a lot of people will just buy it because prices go up and they always have and they always will. Like, okay, they, they have. Are they going to continue? And yep. so why did they, why would they continue, right? Yep. And then we start th- looking at things like inflation yep. and our money system. So yep. it's sort of an inevitable, uh, if you really want to get into real estate and understand that, yep. um, and other hard assets, you know, why why does our system work the way it does? Right. And then that, it always leads to bigger questions, right? Like, <laughs> is yeah. that, is it right? Yeah. You know, yeah. what is the state of our money system? Do we have sound money? Mm-hmm. And uh, you probably have to stop me before I go on a <laughs> no, tangent. No, 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 that's uh, right. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's sort of inevitable once you really dive into real estate. Most investors eventually kind of zoom out a little bit just to, to understand. Because if you're making a big investment, which real estate usually is, yep. you want to be sure that you yeah. are doing the right thing. You have to substantiate that with some real data, real information, and... Yep look at what trends are happening and then uh, yeah know why why you're making that decision right yeah it's a lot uh, of money it's a big move yeah because yeah. there and there's risk involved too right yeah so you talk about investing um every time you make an investment you're really just committing to something right you're yep. you're taking your hard-earned money or your time and you're saying you know what i'm going to make an investment which essentially just means i'm going to commit to something mm-hmm. and i'm going to focus on that endeavor and i expect there's going to be a return um, but if you're going to do that, there's obviously risk involved too, right? And um, you might not get the result you thought uh, yeah. you would. So um, you want to de-risk that by learning about the system, educating yourself. And uh, yeah, that's some of, the, some of the groundwork for the education that we um, put out. Right on. <clears throat> okay. 
so I want to jump to the macro that you were talking about there, Mark, um, and hit on a point you mentioned. So you, I don't know exactly how old you are. I don't want to take a guess live <laughs> on the show here. See, I haven't, we haven't brought that up on our show yet. It's no? just a mystery. Yeah. So but he we, looks a lot like Kelvin on the picture. Yes, he's got the long hair. Anyone Kelvin. watching? I'm yeah. getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's almost as old as John Kelvin. So. I, feel, I feel it's safe to say 35 plus, maybe 40 plus, I guess, so as far <laughs> as to say. So maybe, yeah. Without, okay, he's not leaving the show, so we'll continue. Uh, <laughs> anywho, so what you mentioned with you and your wife, you were like, okay, let's get a second house. This seems like kind of a no-brainer, right? You didn't put a ton of thought into it at least initially, and then you kind of learned as you went over time. Yeah. Now, for, for folks my age and, and especially younger too, like we don't have that luxury today at all. Like it's it's very much like if you want to get into real estate, this is you have to be very calculated and you have to like do a lot of research just to figure out how you can get your first house, never mind get in a, a house after that and, yeah. and whatnot. So do we want to just jump into a bit of the macro situation and, and with a focus maybe more on the youth side of things and say like, okay, if someone's listening, they don't own a house, they're a younger person, single, newly married, married for a couple of years, whatever. How do you get into the real estate market in this day and age, particularly <laughs> here in Southern Ontario, where it's quite difficult? So it also yeah, applies it also applies to like parents whose kids like yes. right. Parents are in a situation oh, the same thing, right? Yeah. And do you want like, to help your kids? Yeah, do you want do to help your kids? So, is that a smart move? Yeah. Or yeah, I know. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, and and from a young person's perspective, I mean, you're thinking about your kids as yeah. well, right? Oh, yeah. And we're assuming a Christian worldview here, where you've got a nuclear family, where you've got a man and a woman get together, and they're going to have children at some point. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you're yeah, thinking the about the future. So, I mean, the the it, to start off, you want to go back to stewardship. Yeah. Right. And the reason, like, just the how your worldview informs your actions, right? Yeah. So if we take the view that we are stewards so that everything that we have is a gift and that starts off with our talents, right? As you're a child, you grow, you learn, you develop your talents and figure out where your expertise is and how you can best use that and how you can best serve God, right? And part of that is just using the talents that you have and the gifts that you've been given to the best of your ability. That glorifies God in itself. Yep. Right. Just doing that. And then later on, as you get older, right. And now you're talking about maybe a young couple who wants to get into real estate. Is it proper to get into real estate? Is that sure. a good use of resources? Is that stewardly? So yep. our theme or our thesis is that, yes, it, it is an excellent use of your um, of your resources because of the system that we have. And I won't get into it too much right now, but basically we live in an inflationary environment where money loses its value constantly. So Robert Kiyosaki, not a Christian, but he has said very bluntly, savers are losers. And uh, while that's that's a little bit blunt and harsh, it's kind of true because if you save up money and just keep saving it up, um, Mm -hmm. it will lose value every year, at least the rate of inflation. And it's especially when you're talking about real estate, that rate of inflation is has been much higher than let's say the price of uh, eggs or the price of gasoline, right? Mm -hmm. If you're saving up for a house, um, some people have had houses just go out of reach because they, you know, they had their savings one year and in COVID house prices went up 30% year over year, Mm -hmm. right? Just made it unattainable for some people. Um, So that's sort of our, our framework where we're, we're talking about um, using your resources and the gifts that you have been given, and that includes your talents, but also your money, wisely. And we think it is wise. Yep. 
you look like you're about to say well, something. Well, no. So I just want to clarify that. So yeah. basically, that the gap to get in in the initial like jump into the market, it's fair to say that has increased substantially over yeah. the last few years because That's why people because are of the point right you're right about the saving and just just to break that down so it's super clear like if you if you need to save I don't know whatever let's let's say you needed like twenty let's just use an easy number fifty thousand dollars yeah. For like a down payment or something like that but then the market goes up 25 percent in one year and you had like 40 or something but now it's you know 25 percent of 50 whatever like it's going up you're, you're not gonna be able to save that much that quickly because your money is losing let's yep. say whatever six seven eight percent a year on inflation i mean now officially yeah. it's down what is it like three or four somewhere in that range right now <laughs> yeah. allegedly in the the basket of goods that they choose <laughs> to serve right. us but uh yeah so anyways just to make that point clear it's the gap seems to be increasing and uh and it is difficult to jump in but go ahead with what you're saying yeah no i mean i'm just looking at a chart here um the average household income what does it take to buy the average home in canada yeah so in around 1980 that was about three times uh the average household income that was the price of a house sorry it was about three times your average income yeah Wow. Um, so now that is over seven times, right? So this is yeah. um, like the percentage of your budget that goes yeah, toward it. Is yeah, crazy. yeah. So you know, for the older people who are like, "Well, we just had to work hard and save and bought a home," like, yeah. yeah, you did, but it was also easier because the percentage of your income was it was a much smaller, yeah, uh, or a, a, a multiple of your income. So it is harder for yeah. young folks. I think a question that comes up though is that is that fair or how is that fair or yeah. right? Cause uh, like you just said, older people, it, it was just easier or they worked hard obviously, yep. but it, it was more attainable and now it's not, or it's in your case with this chart, it's like, no, twice as difficult to buy or more than twice as difficult to yeah. buy um, or seven times as t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Multiple. For a young person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and it might even feel even more difficult, but um you know, is that fair? Um, or how, how do we look at that as Christians? Like what, those are the sorts of questions that I think come out because people feel like slighted by the system, right? Hey, yeah. I'm a young person. I work just as hard as, you know, but why can't I do this? And so what we want to try and figure out, and I think what we want to look at is, okay, it might not be fair, but why, why is this happening? Yeah. And, um, what's, what's going on under the surface there, right? Yeah. Um, like what caused the brokenness? Yeah, what caused that? And yeah. is it going to change or is it going to continue? Well, right? Yeah. So and what can change it, right? Because those are the factors that like <clears throat> if they're outside of our control, yeah. right? You might say, I want to buy a house. But yeah, if you if the house uh, is costing you seven times your income, right? then you better make seven times the income to buy a house yeah. or wait and hope that it comes down, right? But yeah. you need to know whether or not it is going to come down or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned that stat and it was the early eighties, right? Like, so whatever that is like a 40, 45 year period, something like that. Yeah. So is it like immediately in my mind, I think like, okay, like governments have overspent, like they overspent before that, but like we've really seen like a push in, in monetary theory over that timeline where they're like, no, debt is good. It pushes growth. Like we, a lot of the economy runs off of that debt. Yeah. Is so did we just like completely like break the money supply over time and uh, not to completely go down that <laughs> rabbit hole, but like I think it is valid yeah, and I like, think it's it is a, part of the reason. Yeah. A good rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that all start, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> Gold standard. Well, something like that. <laughs> no. And it's, 
I mean, I've, we've often talked about this, and we kind of pinpoint 1971 and the going off the gold standard, but um, it actually goes back further than that. And if you really want to have a villain, it would be central banks. Central banking is where sort of fractional reserve banking started, right? Yep. So that's the idea that um, bank can lend, banks can lend out more money than they actually have. Mm-hmm. So banks have a unique license from the government to print money. Yep. Right? The government can print money. Like uh, most but, mortgages you go and get, they're just printing that money. Yeah. Today. Yeah. A mortgage is essentially new money into the economy yep. that did not exist before. And that was hard for me to wrap my head around when I first uh, heard that. But it's it's absolutely true, right? Yep. Banks just can create that money because the government allows them to do that. And when there's low rates, they create more of it because yeah. more people are asking for it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, where do we go? So central banking, I guess, because yeah. once you sort of centralize, and it started with gold deposits, when you centralize them, um, banks realize that not everybody wants their gold out at once. Yeah. And, and we're talking like 1800s, yeah, early 1900s, right? Um, so we can actually lend out this paper money yeah, because not everybody's going to come back and get their gold yeah. at the same time. So yeah. we can actually lend out more money than we have and we mm-hmm. can make money on that by collecting interest mm-hmm. on that uh, that money and presumably as long as the rate of default isn't too high we're good yeah and uh and everything should be fine right yeah but then you know i'll borrow from bank a i may deposit that in bank b and now i can deposit non-tangible assets so i don't have to deposit gold i can deposit these credits yes so that bank will do the same thing Yes. And it will lend out again and again and again. So you can start off with $100 and end up with, um, I can't remember what it is, but you know, $900 of money money in the economy. Yeah, quicker becomes exponential. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So this is the system that we have. Right. And um, I read a book uh, recently called uh, The Bible and Bitcoin. We don't have to get into Bitcoin, but um, most Bitcoiners start off with talking about, uh, like looking at our monetary system. Mm-hmm. And so he talks a lot about false weights and measures and how our, our money system is corrupt because of false weights and measures. Yep. And uh, I mean, he's uh, at some level, he's he's absolutely correct. This is Alan Armstrong is the fellow's name. He's a pastor out of Windsor. Because the banks can just tip the scale in their favor, right? The banks and the government. Yep. And there's no accountability, yep. right? Well, Previously. It's, it's, yeah, it's legal for them to do it, Yeah. right? But it's not legal for me to do it unless no. I get a mortgage. Yeah. And so just maybe to tie back into to young folks, like you would ask, okay, since a house is so unattainable, should they even bother? And I would say yes, because that's one of the ways that you can sort of put your finger on the scales. Doesn't mean that it's right or just. I I don't think it's unethical either, because this is a system that we work in. I think even Jesus kind of acknowledged that, like work with the system that you have. He never said overthrow the current monetary system, because even the Roman system was corrupt. They ended up debasing their money and ended up, um, I mean, depending on how you look at it, this is part of the downfall of the Roman Empire mm-hmm. was when they started debasing their money. And they did that physically, right? We do it just by printing money and spending money we don't clip, have. Clip the coins, right? Yeah. They yeah. would re- they make the coins smaller. They would reduce the content of gold in there till eventually there was no gold or silver in their coins. Yeah. And... Um, led to all kinds of uh, all kinds of problems but basic story is if you have a hard asset if you have the actual gold or if you have real estate in this case yeah. 
you're going to retain that value. Why not just, I mean, the obvious answer might be you should have a diverse portfolio or whatever, but like, why not just rent? Uh, and then just put your money in the stock market or some other place, like have your own business and you know, you can make your money in your business cause you know, your business better and it's ideally less affected by outside sources than something like real estate would be. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the one alternative to real estate, I would say one of the alternatives would be starting your own business, but that's not for everybody. But that sure. that is a good way to be stewardly to multiply yeah, that, your that, wealth. That's a great way, right? Because, yeah. um, but it also like the drawbacks of that is you got to put your time and energy into that. And real you guys estate. put a lot of time and energy into real estate, though. <laughs> but that's also our business, right? Yeah. So we like the assets that, um, like a real estate asset that you own represents like you know a good long term store of wealth. It it yeah. might not be as um, it might not grow as quickly as a business would, um, yeah. right? But it's 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 going to grow uh, with inflation. It's going to um, pay itself down, and there's a lot of benefits to owning it. But with business, I personally I think business is probably a better investment mm-hmm. um, if you're successful, right? But yeah. not yeah. everybody has the time and energy to dedicate every hour of the day to running a business. We're talking and, more passive. Right? Yeah. And so if you're looking for an accessible investment opportunity that a lot of people can access yeah. and benefit from, regardless of their skill sets or whatever, real estate is a good vehicle. Yeah. Like, yeah you talk about diversifying, right? That's sort of a popular popular thing. Sure. If you just look at it and strictly, you know, strictly by the numbers, um, you know, wealthy people generally do not get wealthy by diversifying. And not that being wealthy is the be all or the end all, but if we're talking about sort of safeguarding your money in this environment, you kind of work towards being wealthy. Yeah, if you want so to that you can it, bless others, you right? You want to grow it. That's yeah. You know, like if you have the option, then you should that's you how, should do that. Like that's how I would define the stewardship, right? Like you want to you don't want your money to decrease. Tyler wants to jump in here though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a great conversation. I get to just be like a radio call-in. So this is uh, yeah. it's great. Um, I'm just curious, like, can we go back to a little bit to the steward? The, so I'm just trying to understand, like, we people, I think, like, their parents have owned homes um, and young people, like, I think it's in a lot of us to be like us. I guess I make myself younger than I am. But, like, young people coming up want to own a house. I think that's kind of in us all a little bit. Um, and I think a lot of people see the stewardship in it, um, that it's like something that's going to grow over time. Um, you know, the old adage, that's like your home is your biggest asset. Um, I mean, you probably would have some comments on that. It's probably not, uh, Robert Kiyosaki probably wouldn't like that statement, but, um, like compared to a, a society where everyone rents, like why, why should young people, care about owning a home when like in europe say um the majority of people rent in probably like new york city um and you know perhaps steward their wealth in other ways like what's so important about real estate or why is it something that like should be like aspired to in the way that like we we think about stewardship and like and, and not let our you know our society just become that rental society yeah. So, I mean, and that's, that's an excellent point. And that's, people will talk about this as well. Like why, why buy just rent? And, um, I've heard this argument before, right? 
instead of buying a home, because you got to pay to upkeep the home and all that stuff. So it's not simply the cost of your mortgage and insurance or property taxes, but there's upkeep as well, right? So I could just rent. And then with the difference in my income, I'll put that into the stock market. So I guess number one, real estate beats the stock market every time. And people can always give you examples, but I've, I've done the math. And um, like I've, my wife and I wrote a book about uh, real estate, Airbnb, and I've got it. I have an example in there where, uh, you know, the growth of the S&P, Standard and Poor 500 index uh, over time is about 10%. Um, and real estate maybe has been a little bit less in terms of equity. But uh, so a couple points on that, and then I'll, I'll get a little bit back to the point um, about young people buying houses. But um, number one, nobody ever really invests in the S&P 500 as a whole and gets that 10% uh, return. Like it's very, you know, so this is the example that people use. A, that's not accurate. People will buy like an indexed fund or something like that, which generally will not perform as well because there's management fees. Or people who play in the stock market, most people lose. Most people do not do well pick stock picking, right? There are people, professionals who do that. Um, so if you get them to do it for you, you're going to pay a management fee. Um, so, but just looking at the numbers, real estate outperforms, uh, the stock market every time and by a pretty good margin as well, because it's not just equity growth we're talking about. We're talking about cash flow. So you've got, presumably you have some cash flow, maybe not right now, <laughs> but over time you have been, uh, plus you have somebody else paying down that asset. Plus there's leverage where you can take, you know, 50 grand and buy an asset that's worth 250 grand, let's say. Whereas with stocks, you're taking that 50 grand and you, you're going to invest it. You can leverage in the stock market, but that's uh, many times riskier. And uh, you could just wipe out your whole investment like that if you leverage poorly. So it's much riskier, not as good stock market. And that kind of gets back to your sort of diversified uh, portfolio comment as well, right? So I'm not big on stocks, not don't ever have stocks, but if you have a choice, and like I said, most wealthy people um, pinpoint a certain area, and that's often usually a business, but that's where all their money, all their time, all their effort is, is in one spot. And then when they get wealthier, then they diversify to safeguard, to hold on to that. So, sh you know, should young people get into real estate? We say yes. Um, how do you do that is another story, but there are ways to do that. And we, you know, we can talk about yeah. that as well. <clears throat> well, but Tyler's asking also, like, is it the right thing to do? Or I think largely that's cultural too, right? Yeah. If, um, if everybody else is renting and you're content to rent, like, it's not like morally superior to be a homeowner necessarily, right? Unless, no, no. Are you morally? <laughs> I mean, I'm a little bit, but that's. <laughs> but there's something to be said for like being in a place. It's more permanent, yeah. right? Community. But it's also something that in Canada here we're used to, right? Yeah. And it's kind of culturally normal, yeah. but um, that's starting to change, right? And that change, maybe we're just resistant to it, but you know, why, why can't I do the same thing I, my parents did or the next generation, right? Um, and then you just point to a place like Holland or in Europe where there's more density, the house prices are higher because the values are higher and nobody really owns. There are a lot of them are renters, right? Yeah. And we're kind of going in that direction, right? We absolutely are. Yeah. 
People so. are a lot more transient nowadays too, though. They don't stick around. Like they don't just grow up in the same place and stay there. So I feel like that's yeah. a factor in that too. Yeah. Like it there's is a more too, of a, there's I mean, more of a demand could, side for rent. Yeah. No? Yeah, but you could, you know, you could, people would, uh, you know, buy here, move and then buy there, right? Sure. Uh, as well. But no, you're like, to your point about Europe and, and Ty's point as well, like, um, yeah, we're, we're moving in that direction. So that's another reason I think if you can get into real estate, do that. And people will say there's a crash coming or, you know, you got to wait till prices are right. Like you can never time the real estate market because you simply don't know. And the more you look, get into macroeconomics, the more you realize like nobody really knows what's going to happen. We can make some decisions based on past cycles and, and what's happened, but, um, you don't really know. So when you're able to get in and buy, because it is a long-term, uh, investment. And then knowing that, well, in our opinion, knowing that we're moving towards a European model, like why are there more renters? Because nobody can afford to buy a home. Because the income to uh, price of the home multiple is that much higher. And we're headed there. I firmly believe we're headed there. So that in 50 years, it's going to be different. Young people will not be able to buy a home. You'll have generational mortgages hmm. where the parents buy a home. They will never pay that off. Maybe their kids or their grandkids will, but that asset will be handed down. Uh, through the family. Do we see that in other places? In Europe, absolutely. Yeah. You can get a 100-year mortgage, right? That's in France crazy. or other wow. places in Europe. Well, because it's it's just understood. Mark just Nobody... paid off his first 100-year mortgage. <laughs> 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 uh, nice. It's ageist, Brent. Oh, yes. Sorry. Ageist. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess uh, a quick answer is, yeah, I think real estate is a great investment. For young people and if they can get in they should because that's going to be probably the best performer for them um your personal home as an asset yeah robert kiyosaki would say no because it doesn't make you any money but when we're looking at young people buying real estate most often young folks are now buying a place that's either a duplex already or has the potential to be a duplex with maybe an accessory dwelling unit so that they can rent that out to afford the mortgage. And that's part of their qualifying through the bank as well. It's like this place has an apartment in it mm-hmm. and uh, that is going to help us pay, you know, the, here's what it could rent for. That's going to help us pay this mortgage. Yep. That's just part of the qualifying process. And I think that's just going to be a normal thing from now on. Mm. So, so why did houses inflate quicker than other things? Like, you know, we can still, I mean, it's pretty brutal, but you can, most people can still afford to buy food. And other like essentials like that, but it seems like like housing has increased that much more. Is it because the money generally flows into harder assets like real estate? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have thoughts on this, but uh, the the closer you are to the money printer, mm-hmm. the the better the effect. And so we talked about mortgages, how mortgages are essentially a form of printing money, right? This right. is the only way that regular people can create money, right? As there's no really no other way other than having your own yeah. business. You can create money that way. Uh, but other than that, it's it's houses. There are other assets available to the wealthy, right? Yeah. Hard assets are uh, perform much better. You mean like paintings? Well, like okay, that. housing yeah. housing is a need, right? Everyone needs to live somewhere. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, despite what you might think, not everybody needs to eat steak, right? Or Well, I might needs, disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ought they to eat steak? <laughs> they but, ought to. But what I'm getting at is the fact that 
everyone has to make their own personal decisions and choices, right? So if you have, um, you know, uh, the way they measure inflation is this basket of goods that yeah. you kind of mentioned, but, um, you know, consumers have choices to make every day. You go to the store and you want to get groceries. Well, you can pick the nicest, uh, most expensive cut of meat, or you can pick up a package of hot dogs, right? So uh, those things inflate, uh, like the, the really valuable scarce, hard to produce, um, you know, quality items, they'll inflate more than like the easy to produce, um, kind of watered down. Um, and housing is an example, like a prime example of something that's very expensive to produce. It's like highly scarce, right? Cause for one, it's sitting on land that, yep. um, is scarce and they're not making more. And that land is governed by, uh, zoning policies that kind of restrict development or limit development. Right. And it takes a lot of capital to do these things. Um, so housing is a huge, scarce asset. So that's why I think people, they obviously need housing. So housing goes up in value. That makes but, sense. But they sacrifice a lot of other things, right? They might yep. sacrifice. They're not going on as many vacations or they're not buying a new car. Or they're not eating steak. Yep. You look like you've been eating steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I wish. Maybe you're wish. sacrificing somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's other intangible uh qualities as well right when we talk about raising a family for example right i can go you know if i just got married i could go live with my wife in a one-bedroom apartment we start having children assuming that's the path we're going down um and that's a good path then uh, it's going to be hard like okay i can get to a two-bedroom apartment maybe a three-bedroom right and in our society we're not used to having you know, we, we have four children at home and most people are like, whoa, that's, you know, wow, that's crazy, right? Yeah. So two kids is maybe the norm. So you could get away with living in an apartment. But really, once you if you've got a bigger family, a house is going to be where you want to go. So do you, at that point, do you want to own or do you want to rent? Yeah. Like, do you want to start building up, um, building up some, I don't want to say wealth, but um, your money to actually stay with you in the form of that house, as opposed to going to someone else paying rent. Right. Um, and you know, that's another point about rent. Like most landlords are going to charge more rent than it costs them to, for their mortgage. Yep. So as far as rent being cheaper, like, I, I don't think so because why else would a landlord rent you his place? Nobody's going to rent it at a loss because they also have to keep some money aside to fix the roof and to, to do, you know, make repairs and stuff. So, um, generally that's not going to be more affordable. So, but just quality of life, raising a family, um, generally a house is going to be a better option for most people. Right. Okay. But then if you're here in Canada and you're looking to get into market and you do your research and you find a way to get in, yeah, I can see why some people might still have concerns with like a, a quote unquote crash or something like that, because the U S is like, you know, on the same monetary system as us yet housing is more affordable there. Not crazy affordable, but more affordable. And you do see people moving down there for reasons like that. So like, how are we to know that this isn't like some sort of bubble in Canada? Like, why are we so inflated? It feels like here, like, is it a, is it a, like a demand thing? Is it a supply thing, regulation? Like what's going on there exactly? Yeah, Brent, it's uh, all, of the, <laughs> all yeah. of the above. I mean, one, one thing we can look at is, um, is immigration, for example, right? we have the same levels of immigration, probably even higher than the United States. Like just, yep. uh, just pure numbers, right? Yep. Let's say a million people a year is, is about the number. But the U.S. has eight times the population. 
Mm-hmm. So what is that going to do to our, you know, if you just talk about supply and demand, what is that going to do to our supply? Yeah. And it's been that way for, it hasn't been that crazy. The numbers have been that high for a while. Um, you know, since COVID, they've really crept up, but we've always been per capita much higher than the United States, for example, on immigration, right? We've had supply like issues for for quite a while in Southern Ontario anyways, right? And that's yep. why people are moving out of Southern Ontario. But, you know, there's one reason okay. um, why I don't think there's, we could see a correction. We've seen that since COVID because that wasn't sustainable, mm-hmm. right? And there maybe there's still some room for prices to go down. But in the end, um, yeah, I, I don't yeah. see. Just quickly on immigration, like the government controls immigration. Yeah. yeah. Um, and why would they decrease immigration? If you think about that, right? Like they they want to have more uh, economic growth in the country. They want to have more activity. They want, um, yeah, they they want growth, right? They want to be able to charge taxes. They want people to have jobs yep. and buy homes. So they need people. And if we're not having babies, then they need to sustain. Um, that, that growth from somewhere and that comes from immigration in a large way. Um, so if they reduce the immigration, that can have a negative impact on maybe their economic targets, right? Yeah. I mean, the only counter to that would be if we have the situation which we have now, which is like nobody can afford because of in large part immigration. Well, so that's one, of the, that way, then. that's one of the arguments that, you know, there, there is a housing bubble and it has to pop. Yeah. What if they just, because it's know. not affordable. Yeah. So my counter to that is, well, go to Europe. We're waiting for the waiting for it to pop, right? This has been yeah. hundreds of years. Yeah. It hasn't happened. It's not affordable. It's not getting any more affordable, and prices haven't dropped. So simply because the prices are high, doesn't mean that they have to fall. You know what I mean? It's um, all the factors that led prices to get where they are are still there, and the the biggest reason is the devaluing of our money supply or of our money. Of the mm-hmm. monetary unit. But wouldn't the U.S. be under the same pressure that way? Uh, they are. And I mean, pr- so it's not been as pronounced because Canada is more dependent on real estate as, as part of the economy, Econ- right? Yeah, Up yeah, to yeah. 40% of our GDP is real estate related. That makes sense. Yeah. Compared um, to the U.S. More business. Yeah. Can, yeah. The U.S. Has more, is more diverse, right? Yeah. So, and again, with, through our uh, immigration and existing supply um constraints it's not nearly as bad as the united states okay. but in the states the price of houses through COVID has doubled yeah so you know tell that to somebody who lives in the states they're, they're not going to feel any pity for us here in canada because so. it has gotten mon- more unaffordable um in the states as well and even in within canada too right there's areas of it's not like canada as yeah. a whole is way more expensive right there's pockets um like because the real estate markets are local right there's local factors mm-hmm. there's reasons why you would want to live in toronto and why a lot of people come there and a lot of people want to get a job and whatever right and there's reasons why other people want to move to calgary <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> right because it's more affordable um yeah and you can look at new york san francisco like the major urban centers mm-hmm. like it's pricier than here or it's at least comparable to toronto so yeah. again diff- we're not completely out to lunch that way yeah. No, no, not at all. No. Well, and another thing I to mean, think about is the building construction, too. Like, yeah. how many units are we creating? Do they have to dig below the frost line? So, what's their cost for construction in the states and different areas, right? No, that's and fair. look at development fees. Yeah. Toronto is 
is like is insane. Yeah. Like what is it? I, I think it's it's over a hundred thousand dollars to develop a unit in Toronto. Like that's just fees that go to the city of Toronto. Oh wow. Development charges, right? Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> So you have things so, that, like all these sticky factors, right? Yeah, like yeah, immigration's yeah, not gonna drop off substantially anytime soon. Yeah, and, like the regulation's not gonna like, you know, decrease even if like, you know, you get a Pierre Polyev yeah. in there. It's gonna be less, but like it's not gonna be crazy. Yeah. yeah. But again, the main factor is the devaluing of our money. Right. Yep. Supply and demand, all these other things aside, unless our money suddenly increases in value or we go into a deflationary environment, yeah. um, then we'll see asset prices decrease. Yeah. But I, I don't see that happening. Right. If you if you look at spending debt, the only way that we can afford stuff here is to get more debt in Canada. But now we get into the ethical like problem with this because you like yeah. so we have Everybody's like, okay, real estate's a good idea, especially like wealthy people like to invest in real estate because it has good returns, as we've talked about. Yeah. But now, as we've seen probably, I don't know, over the last 10 years or something like that, you see more and more people set up corporations and like go big into real estate. And like you guys are very aware of this. Um, and in particular, like even single detached homes, turning them into like duplex, triplex, adding ADUs. Yep. So, and I know you guys are active in this space, but like what and. <laughs> I guess, how would you, how do you defend that? Because like some people would say like, okay, like this is corporations they are taking homes from families who are trying to get in the market. And like, you know, as Christians, like, yeah, maybe it gets a good return, but like, can we ethically do this? And it kind of seems like the way we're describing this whole situation is like, you know, there's X amount of cookies in the cookie jar and everyone's going to get their cookies. And then eventually in like 2040, there's going to be no cookies left. And then everyone else has to rent or do a long mortgage from their parent over like hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like it's sort of the chicken and the egg, right? Sure. So as individual real estate investors and not like a BlackRock who might be buying thousands of. I'm uh, not saying you are. I'm just, yeah, yeah. No, no. But there, yeah, yeah. there is an argument to be made um, around the commoditization of housing and yes. what that does. Yep. Um, so I guess a couple points. Number one, private landlords provide pretty well all of the rental units in Canada. And if we're just talking about Canada, right? Probably 90%. Right. So when we talk about, you know, people having a place to live, that comes from one of these parasitical investors, one of these terrible landlords mm-hmm. buying another house and then renting it out. So, you know, where, like where would people live? Well, the only reason people can rent and not everybody wants to buy um, is because people actually are investing. That's the basis of our rental stock in Canada is investors. So do we want to vilify investors and, you know, especially small investors for doing that? I don't think so. And does that mean that they're wrong for doing that? Again, I don't think so. Brent is, um, you know, in a, like in a small way, mm-hmm. um, buying properties, investing in them, densifying them, creating mm-hmm. more housing where there was not housing before. So it yeah. might've been a single family unit. They're now making two, maybe three, maybe four mm-hmm. places for people to live. And they're not as big. No. But, you know, how do you put a, uh, um, how do you value that ethically? Where, right? It's a spot for someone to live. Yeah. Where do houses come from? Right? Like, they don't, the government will say in a big announcement, you know, X number of million dollars is going to create all these new homes. Right, like they don't have this big button they push and they just insert money like a debit machine and whatever and push the button no. and out come all these dwelling units, right? Yeah. So, 
somehow the like housing needs to be produced or created and like we talked about before that has limitations right you need smart people and skilled laborers and designers and engineers and you need to meet all this red tape and get a permit and get a piece of land and then get all the materials in from you know uh, concrete to wood to whatever it is right and then assemble it and it takes a long time so um yeah where where do they come from if it doesn't if it's not somebody paying somebody's taking a risk somebody's to get taking a, a risk to actually produce this thing but right? the counterpoint to that is that risk was being taken 40 50 six years Why ago families right yeah so like now so what, what has changed in that time period yeah, now back to the money system again. Absolutely, <laughs> because it I makes too much to sense. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The the fe- investors have always been active. Well, let's break this down for a second estate. because break it down. So Brett. yeah, let's break it down. So money. Don't rap, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna rap. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I completely threw you off. The money system. Okay. Yeah. So at the, that, I always ask these like kind of first principle questions what is money to begin with right like so what people are trying to do with money is to save their time and energy right in in some medium or some technology um or something for the future because the way it works is you go out and you do your job and um you might not be able to spend all the fruits of your labor um, or you might not want to spend all the fruits of your labor when you come home so you Mm -hmm. need a medium to save it in Yeah. Right. And to store it for the future. And so that medium or that technology we call money. Right. And um, yeah, we can go into a ton of different things with this because there's hundreds of hours of content out there talking about what is money exactly. But money has certain properties or characteristics to it um, that lend itself to being saved um, as a store of value. It's a medium of exchange between people. Right. So it has to be. has to be divisible has to be fungible all of these things um and what's happened with housing is that over the last you know 50 years we probably go back even further is it's starting to get monetized and what i mean by monetized is it's people are treating housing as if it's money in a sense right yeah. um and there's other things that are being monetized or whatever i guess you could say commoditized right sneakers yeah um art Ooh, you've got nice sneakers man. um but but they're looking at the housing as not a place to live not a place to raise a family but it's a place to store my wealth for the future right and the more that the money like the canadian dollar the u.s dollar the currency that we use um for back lack of a better word sucks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or depreciates debases. in value debases yeah. um uh, people will just naturally say, look, why would I save something that someone else can print or produce mm-hmm. easily at a whim, right? With a, just a flick of a switch. Yep. Why would you save that? So, And on the you, flip side, you should take on debt because it gets smaller as you go. Yeah. Well, is it, re- is it stewardly to save, to, to do what you're saying? To <laughs> just save to finish the point. So people don't, people just naturally, maybe it's even subconscious. They choose to not save the dollars and they're instead putting it in the house. Yeah. So now whether they like it or not, the government has essentially created a system where the houses are being used, not as houses, but as money or right. to some degree, right? Like maybe it was 5% hundred years ago. Now it's 50%. Right. Mm -hmm. I need to live somewhere, but I might, I also need to save my money so I can do both of the house. Yeah. 
right? And then that problem is one that we're looking at and we're saying, is that trend going to continue or is the money all of a sudden going to improve and people are going to say, you know what? House is just like, it's the same shingles, the same drywall. They just deteriorate over time. Why would I store my money in house? Because it just gets less valuable over time, mm-hmm. right? And they'll go put their money in something else. Yeah. Right. So that's the, I think what's really underlying this whole um, problem of houses becoming too unaffordable. But anyways, you guys both had No, go ahead. <laughs> no, you're right. But like, so then you See, have to ask, like, is it stewardly just to save your money in the bank then? Probably not if you know that it's going to uh, no, be debased. Right? right. And there's an interesting correlation. If you look at the M2 money supply, so that's the broad money supply in Canada versus Toronto house prices, it is like the identical graph. Really? Over the last 50 years or whatever. Yeah. Makes sense. So, you know, that tells me, among many other things, that what is causing the price, not even the value, but the price of homes to go up, is it because greedy investors are buying them all up? Like, that wasn't the case for a long time. Um, and it's, you know, again, become more commoditized now. Um, but I, my argument is that is not a result of investors, doing it the investors have identified this trend of Mm -hmm. money printing of currency debasement which is causing assets to rise in value right just like a rolex or fine art or people buy wine whiskey Mm -hmm. that wine that whiskey doesn't okay that's a bad (laughs) wine gets better with age but like a rolex doesn't a picasso doesn't but why is it going up in value there's more money available because money is being debased. People have more trust in the long-term sustainability of those assets as compared to As opposed to currency units. So that is what's happening. Houses are not increasing in value. They're increasing in price in currency units. And and all investors are doing is saying, this is the best spot for me to put my money. And we're going to provide housing for people anyways. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this is the best spot for me to put this as a regular investor. I can't afford a Picasso. Um, I might not even be able to afford uh, a really nice bottle of whiskey, but I can buy a house and I can do that. You say that you can't afford it. You also probably can't afford a house, but you can get a loan, right? Well, I can't. I can't get a loan for. Actually, you can. But generally speaking, you can't get a loan to invest in uh, in whiskey. Bottle of whiskey. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I meant, right? You can't. You can't get a loan to invest in every kind of scarce asset, but with housing. It's pretty easy. I yeah. mean, relatively to the other compared to other things, yeah. and that's because the it's difference safer maker for people to lend money. Yeah, it's on. deemed yeah. as to be safer, and we've created this whole industry around it. But then, biblically, we know, like in Proverbs, says like you know the borrower is a slave to the lender. So then you think, okay, do I want to take on a giant mortgage and risk my you know family's future just to make sure my money means something down the road? Yeah, which is you know that sucks. That's not a good situation. Yeah, but on the flip side. If you keep the money, like say you rent for real cheap, you live frugally, and you just stock away your money, you're kind of a slave to the people who issue the money, which is the banks of the government. Yeah. Yeah. So the the system has been flipped from when we're, we're looking at Proverbs, and because I've heard these verses yep. used uh, in this context, right? You shouldn't be a slave to, and you're right, you should not be enslaved to mammon, correct? But in our system, debt for assets is actually... A liability is um, is an asset. Okay, yeah, right. It's not a liability. So if you go buy a jet ski, um, yeah, that's a liability. That doesn't produce any income. 
and that's not, I mean, you know, you could argue it's good for your quality of life or whatever, but buying liabilities and especially borrow, like if you have the money to buy a jet ski, go ahead and buy one. If you're going to borrow to buy one, that's a bad decision. Yep. Right. And then typically you're going to, and we see that people, we have a consumeristic society and we don't buy a vehicle, right? You borrow for it and you borrow for this and that, and you become a slave to credit card companies. Um, But when we're talking about assets, that's flipped on its head. Debt is now actually good. And in, in our crazy system, you want to take on as much good debt as possible. The more debt, like Robert Kiyosaki, famous, and I keep going back to him, but um, famously he's, he said, like, I owe a billion dollars. I'm a billion dollars in debt, but he's got billions of dollars in assets, in real estate. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you look at buying real estate, for example, um, is that something where you're going to be enslaved to the borrower? No, because the borrower maintains an asset they actually own it right the bank owns that uh that house and has full rights to it until you're fully paid off so as long if you owe a dollar on it the bank still can take that money Mm -hmm. so it's not going to be something where the borrower or sorry where the lender will lose money the bank will never lose money on a house almost never except in maybe some recent times so it's well it's identifying like what is you know what's a good relationship and what's not so buying can you explain the debt part of the assets again though like why is that good yeah so because in my mind i'm like okay like you get your house right like if you were a more conservative person you'd be like i'm gonna work my butt off to pay this off yeah i don't know i don't owe anybody and this thing will appreciate and then if i make money off it appreciating maybe i'll go invest it after that like in the meantime, so, I got to raise my family, pay for schools, churches, all this kind of stuff. Absolutely. So for yeah. your primary house, you could make that argument yeah. because your primary house is actually a liability. It's a lifestyle asset. Yep. Somewhere for you to raise your kids, but it's not doing anything for your bottom line, right? It's not producing income unless you're renting out part of it, then it's partially an asset. But if I buy an investment property, that's now an asset. Yep. So I can, bo- you know, I'll put down 20% of the value. Yeah, I get 100% of the growth, 100% of the cash flow, 100% of all, you know, all of the benefits uh, accrue to me if I do it properly, because you can still make a bad real estate investment decision. So in this case, for me to owe 700 grand on a house when I've put down 100 grand, um, and it's actually producing money, it's putting money into my pocket every month, and then I can write off the interest payments on that, the expenses that I have, that is a net positive for me and for my family and the downside is um like right now maybe well (laughs) Well, there's been little downside the downside is if interest rates go up and i can't afford it anymore just a quick um but sorry one one more thing (laughs) when we're talking about borrowing and lending right the bible speaks very poorly not of lending because that was common in Israel, right? And it was encouraged lend freely, right? Mm-hmm. But it speaks very poorly of the borrower who borrows with no intent to pay back. And that's really, I think, the defining difference. So someone who borrows either with the intent not to pay back or the um, with without the ability to pay back. Kiyosaki doesn't want to pay it back, though. <laughs> uh, no, but he could, right? Because okay. those 
houses all have equity in them. Yeah, so if he I, had to and the reason end the relationship with the bank, back. he could do that on good terms. He would okay. sell the house, pay them off. But the reason he doesn't want to pay it back is because the financial incentives are not there for him to do that, right? Like he is better off if he doesn't, right? Because his money is all so, sunk into yeah. that asset. And so then just, just to well, give he's like borrowing a, at X percent and he's making a higher percentage. And the spread is better, yeah. So just to kind of illustrate, because people might um, be aware of their money losing value. So if you, if you have a million dollars in cash in the bank right now, yeah, um, what is that a million dollars going to be worth in thirty years? Peanuts. Or, like it might, it will still be a million dollars, but it will be able to purchase a lot fewer goods and services. Yep. It like the purchasing power has been eroded massively, right? Um, and the rate at which that purchasing power is eroding is kind of quickening every year too. Um, and that's kind of by design on the system, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> but now let's flip it on its head. So let's say I gave you a million dollar loan on an asset. Let's say you own a piece of real estate and you had a million dollar mortgage at the bank right now. Mm -hmm. What is that a million dollar mortgage going to be worth in 30 years if you never pay it off let's say you just still have a million dollar loan at the bank in 30 years let's say for a fun example let's say you were making a million dollars a year in today yeah and then if like you know fast forward 30 years assuming your income keeps up with inflation to a decent degree that loan of a million dollars is like not that much money anymore. Yeah. So relatively yeah. speaking, like the price of goods and services has gone up. Wages have gone up. Asset prices have gone up in a huge way. Mm -hmm. So now the the debt of a million dollars when you bought the asset has benefited from inflation for 30 years. And the asset has gone up, even though the house has deteriorated over time, it's still worth more in, mm -hmm. in the nominal price, right? Than the loan, even though you never paid the loan off. Yep. So that's kind of an illustration of how to use inflation to your advantage. And I think there's a, there's an American guy, his name's Jason Hartman, real estate um, guy in the States. And he, uh, he kind of coined the term inflation deduced debt destruction. So you're getting debt and you're letting inflation take its toll on that debt. And that's yep. essentially the exact same principle that the government employs on their debt. Right. And that's why, Mark and I, we, we talk about this, but that's why we've identified, you know, we want to do the same thing the government is because they're in control, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? If their debt is growing, but they're using inflation to uh, make it look smaller and smaller by printing more money, mm -hmm. we want to do the same thing they're doing. And that's what we're doing through real estate, right? You're buying that asset and then you're letting the debt look smaller over time. Yeah, it just sucks. It's, That's one. It screws people who don't have assets. That's a problem. Well, that is the problem. That's why we say if you don't today. have that assets, get here. assets. <laughs> yeah. Right? If you're a young person, get some of those assets. So an illustration. Oh, sorry. Ty. <laughs> Go ahead, Ty. Oh, no. It's, I just wanted to kind of ask more specifically about real estate. And I know, like, people can go. We'll refer everyone to the Two Stewards show, and people can go over there and um, – hear more in-depth conversations between you guys about um, strategies and things like that that you guys talk about. But I'm kind of curious about real estate. Um, yeah, kind of a strategic question. Um, we talked about a little bit about the stock market and we talked about leverage, although I'm surprised how uh, that has, that word hasn't come up as much as I thought it would. But uh, 
um, like leveraging your money using debt in real estate. Um, but there's also other things like the tax. You mentioned the tax um, code is written that favors real estate. Um, you know, I'm aware of like some estate planning things like the end of your life. Real estate really benefits that um, from that um, kind of code. Like there are things that the government has has done to incentivize um, real estate investing as opposed to, you know, leveraging your money in like what Mark was talking about, like in a dangerous way in the stock market, like your bottom, your bottom side is a lot lower. So I'm kind of curious, like, can you guys just, just touch on that a little bit? Like why is real estate like strategically from some of those things that the, you know, the government and like, not specifically how our money is, but, um, some of the other incentives that, that real estate kind of provides, as opposed to someone saying renting and using their the rest of their income for these other investments. Yeah. I mean, the, the government has traditionally encouraged home ownership, right? They really want people to own their own homes because they, they understand too, that if, uh, and I mean, this is going back quite a ways, but, um, and you, you can go back to child. maybe second world war. What's that? When you were a small child, <laughs> back in the 1800s, <laughs> the founding of this country. Just a lad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sat on Sir John A's knee yeah. at Christmas. Yeah. I never know any of these things. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What happened last century, Mark? Yeah. No, but the government has traditionally encouraged home ownership, um, because they understand that, that, you know, we could talk about the family as a nuclear unit. And if you have state, you know, if you have people who can afford homes, Hopefully that leads towards stable nuclear families, which is something, you know, I think we can all agree on is, is like a good, and that used to be a building block of society, right? And especially you talk about the GIs coming home from the war. Um, and actually you can go back a little bit further into the thirties. So you talk about some of the tax advantages to real estate. They're more pronounced in the United States. And there, there's a few, um, a few different laws, like a 1031 exchange is one, just very quickly. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. But this is where basically you can um, sell an investment property and not pay capital gains as long as you're buying another one. And they actually introduced that to help farm owners um, get bigger and bigger farms and, and to improve their sort of situation. Coming out of the 30s, with uh, the depression, with, with drought, and where farms were devastated, they really want to encourage farming. And um, so that kind of moved its way into investment properties as well. But yeah, moving, you know, looking at mo modern uh, lending rules and stuff, it's all designed to encourage home ownership. And also, I think, to encourage um, investment in real estate. Because again, the government does not provide housing to people. Investors provide housing um to other people so they want to encourage that um i don't know if that i got a little bit off track there ty but uh i don't know if that answers your question fully oh yeah i'm just thinking yeah yeah people might you know say like well i you know i might be good at good at uh, the stock market and say like i mean not to dwell too much on that but like there there are other reasons why real estate other than just the appreciation or even um if i'm just thinking about like young people and even their primary residence um the government has even, um, you know, doesn't tax capital gains on a primary residence yep. yet, um, <laughs> which is a, could be a big problem. That's a but uh, your house. Your house. little things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all designed towards, again, towards the government supporting home ownership. And there's, I mean, there are, <laughs> we've identified seven reasons why real estate is like a superior um, 
investment vehicle for for anyone. We don't have to get into all of them, but uh, yeah, leverage is is one of the big ones, and that uh, that like instantly just leverage makes it so much better than it. And it's government um, encouraged leverage, yeah. right? Where they will and you know they'll even insure your your uh, first home purchase or they'll insure other home purchases as well. The government actually encourages it. So, you know, there's a saying in the U.S., don't fight the Fed. Uh, so that's the Federal Reserve Bank, right? And that just means, like, don't try to go against current government policy and the flow of how they're doing things because it's just foolish. The government is much bigger than you, and they're going to win. So Brent talked about using that sort of theory to your advantage, right? Using inflation... It will reduce your pile of money, your pile of savings, but it will reduce your debt as well over the long yeah, term. If you align yourself with them and follow their incentives, yeah, right. And one of them, um, not to jump back to Kiyosaki, but we did a little series on his book, right? So yeah. we kind of have it fresh in our heads. But um, uh, real estate is one thing that's rewarded um, in the tax structure by the government, but also business. So if you're an employer. Yeah. Um, and you have a corporation, you can benefit from um, corporate tax laws because um, you know you're you're basically being incentivized to provide jobs, right? So the government wants jobs, um, and they want housing, right? And those two things that are are beneficial for everybody that the government wants to incentivize, but they can't necessarily just produce themselves or create. So the way that they the tools that they have, the government has at their um, um, disposal, is to incentivize this through tax benefits right it's like you owe this amount of tax but if you have a, a house or a rental property you can write off the expenses against the income and you can depreciate the property and we can get into the weeds about the tax stuff which i know very little about because i'm not an accountant but um but same thing with uh, business right if you have if you employ people right versus being a self-employed uh, business owner where you um, bring home a big income you're gonna have a hefty tax bill right yeah so um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way the government, um, incentivizes the behaviors that they want. Is it fair to, and like, I mean, I think it is, but the question should be asked, like, is it fair to do what you can to shelter your money from taxes? Because like the way the system is set up, like you guys have just explained, if you invest in real estate or you start a business, you have these advantages because you are providing, you know, shelter or jobs or whatever. So like, have you guys gotten into that on your show at all? Like, have you, have you talked about that? I feel like the general consensus among people like Christians, I mean, it's just like, yes, I mean, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but like, I don't want to give Caesar anything more than I have to. Like, this is Caesar takes enough. Well, I mean, the, the government is directing us like, yeah, we have to rightfully pay taxes yeah. and the government tells us what that is. So just follow those rules. Sure. And people will call it like loopholes or sheltering, like, you're just you're using the tax code as it exists. Mm -hmm. I, I don't you know I don't get what the problem is. You're not. Yeah, you talked about income earners versus business owners or real estate investors. So an income earner really doesn't have much recourse. You make income, you pay income tax. So then they'll look at someone who's got a business or an investment property that isn't paying the same amount of tax, and they say, "Well, you're sheltering or you're doing something dodgy." Yeah, I'm like no, you're just. We're, we're doing what the government allows and actually encourages. Yeah, yeah, and the flip side of that, the important side, is the value those people create, right? Like yeah. if you're just a wage earner, that's good. You you do a service for the company you work for and you get paid yep. to that. 
but you go home, you know, you're not also, if you're doing something else, you're going to be getting paid for it outside of work yeah. hours. It's a relatively low risk thing, right? Because yeah, with a business owner, you're going to take capital, you're going to make expenses, yeah. you're going to have a lot more invested, yeah. Yeah. a lot more risk. Yeah. But yeah, as a business owner, you, you spend and then you pay taxes. As a wage earner, you pay taxes and then you can spend. Right. Whatever's yeah. left, then you can spend on what you need to live. So there's a big difference right there when you and when you think about being stewardly. Right. So maybe you're not going to be a business owner, but you can apply some of the same rules with real estate. You will spend and then you will pay taxes as opposed to paying taxes first and then spending. Mm hmm. Okay, so we got this far on the show. Go ahead, though. Just, just one more. The eyes are starting to glaze a little. No, 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 no. I well, wanna, one more yeah. maybe interesting dimension that um, to this thing, right, is once you pay tax dollars to the government, is they spend them, and they don't necessarily always spend them the way you would, right? Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or wisely or stewardly at all, right? Yeah. Um, and we, we, I think we delved into this a little bit on our, our show. So you have to tune into that episode. But um, we talk about welfare and um, some of the social consequences of all of this stuff. Because um, if you're, like as Christians, we're called to be um, hospitable. We're called to look out for other people. We're called to serve, right? And um, what the current system encourages is actually one that's kind of counter to what we believe as Christians we should do, right? So uh, the current mindset is, um, you know, I pay my taxes, the government provides a program to the people that are down and out and problem solve, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as I go to work and I spend my money on my stuff for my family and I give my taxes to the government, the government will take care of the people that are the lowly in society, right? Um, that might not have the means to take care of themselves, right? Um, but really, there's a higher calling for Christians, and uh, you know we have to be examples. But that behavior of go to work, take care of your family, and then also go down the street and take care of someone else is not really incentivized when you say, "Hey, you know what? There's welfare. There's you know there's all these programs in place, and you just pay taxes and." you know, take care of it. You're kind of just voting with your dollars for some guy who's just going to create a program mm -hmm. and take care of those people for you. Right. So it's, there's, there's some deeper stuff here we could talk about, maybe not on this show, but. Well, um, it, but it's interesting because the re, we pay, you know, relatively high taxes in Canada and most people are okay with that because you've got universal health care, you've got welfare, social services, because it goes to good things. But what do we see? We have a, a housing crisis all across Canada, and especially in southern Ontario. If the government was being responsible we, with and doing what they said they would do, we wouldn't have a housing crisis. What are we seeing? Organizations like Indwell um, yeah. and, and other organizations, Christian organizations, um, that are providing housing. And it, you know, it's not all Christian organizations, but there's other charitable ones that are not. Um, but we're seeing private citizens identify a problem and then step in to solve that. And the government will sort of tep step in at the tail end of, um, you know, of the announcement of a new housing unit that's been entirely built with private money. And maybe mm -hmm. the government helped them qualify for a better, uh, better financing rate or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But they'll step in and say, Oh, we created a hundred housing units, which is like a complete falsehood. Um, government, 
I don't think they've created one housing yeah, unit. Meanwhile, those just same on their government own. representatives are at every city council meeting saying, I don't like this. I don't support it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not in my backyard. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But that's when you talk about the tax system, right? Like it's, um, if that was in fact how it should work, then we wouldn't have a housing crisis. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need, people wouldn't need to support homeless people or, or people with addictions or whatever, right? But the You're, fact is the most support for those people, again, comes from the private sector, from private citizens. Yeah, you really have to go above and beyond to help people these days with the incentives you just described. Like you work hard, you earn a living either as a business owner or like as an employee. You take yep. that money home, the government takes 20, 30, 40%, depends how much money you make, yeah. whatever. You take that remaining amount of money, you give some to church, to school, feed your family, whatever, whatever. Pay your mortgage. Yeah. And then if you have any left over, <laughs> wow. And the more fantastic. they take. Go help somebody else. Yeah, the more they take, the less you're, like, the less you feel inclined to give, right? So, okay, oh, exactly. I took, I just feel ripped off, right? And yeah. That's not obviously a good attitude, but yeah. that's, that's what brews under the surface, right? I know. So, you really have to start thinking through these issues and get smart about how you pay your taxes and how you make your money and just to be able to, like, help people out. Just not well, how it used to be, yeah, which if you sucks. Think, <laughs> if you think about, we're gonna change that. Yeah, we're gonna change that. Can we change it? Like uh, that's what we should get into Maybe. some tangibles here. Like, if say you're listening to this, right, and you're like, okay, like I have a young family, whatever. Like I got kids, I got church, yeah. I got school payments. Like you got all this kind of stuff. I agree with you guys. Real estate is a great investment. I would love to get in it, but like you know, I work this job. I don't think I can make a change. We don't really have that money savings. Like, yeah. how do you actually get it? Yeah, well, so, I mean, we've talked about with like practically young people uh, episodes. So you do need some money. Like that's, you know, you have to save some money. As much yeah. as we hate, you know, accumulating money because um, of inflation, you, you got to save some at some point. But there are creative strategies, right? You can buy a house. We see young people buying houses together. Yeah. So maybe you can't afford a $500,000 house, but you can probably afford half of that. Yep. Right. You can do a duplex and you can both. And often it will start with your own personal home, but it doesn't have to. Right. Mm -hmm. You could be renting and buy something. Um, I have a family member that couldn't afford here, but they were able to afford something in Winnipeg or not Winnipeg, close in Manitoba. Right. So they bought that and they rented that out while they were still renting here. Right. And eventually they, they moved there uh, into that home. But it's just an example of like, there are creative things that you can do. You can buy outside of your market. You can buy in the States, for example, where it is more affordable um, or just in a different uh, province right? and kind of start your journey there. The important thing is to get in mm -hmm. and then you start taking advantage of these trends that we've talked about, right? Of using inflation to eat away at your debt, mm -hmm. of, um, of using rising um, or <coughs> debasing currency in rising house prices, right? Once you're in, now you can eventually maybe refinance that house because the value's gone up and then boom, throw that money into uh, into another house. And that's typically the path that real estate investors take, right? But you really got to educate yourself to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Or get a guy like Brent to help you out. It is. so. But here's another difference between now and the 80s when it was more affordable. Yeah. Um, there's so much more education available, right? Like the that's content that that's we're fair. putting out. You yep. can figure out how to do anything. And, you know, maybe you got to work a little bit harder and do a side hustle. But on the flip side, these side hustles are much more affordable or much more available mm -hmm. for people that are willing to work. And I mean, that part hasn't changed, right? You got to be hard working. Yeah. That's a, that's a good, 
attribute and um, something that a lot of people are still, they were lacking probably in the 80s and they're lacking now. Um, mm -hmm. You can, I, I jokingly mentioned sneakers. We'll get to you, Ty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I jokingly mentioned uh, sneakers as like um, yeah. you know, an asset that's rising, but like there's kids making money reselling sneakers, like making big companies. Yeah. Never would have thought of that, but that's something that's out there. And we've talked about flipping couches. Yeah. There's all kinds of things you can do to make extra income. And the education, the possibilities are there. Just as a side note, we did try flipping a couch. We got one for free and yeah. then ended up on our driveway and it got stolen. <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> so, uh, Lesson learned. Yeah. I think yeah. Ty was trying yeah, to ahead, jump Ty. in. Yeah. Talk about creating value. That the pricing just going up and then, but yeah, it doesn't sound like they're creating any extra value with the sneakers, but <laughs> um. I'm curious, like, can you guys talk about, I know, like, there's lots of different strategies. Mark, you've done, uh, at Joy Hill, you do uh, mid-short-term um, rentals, um, the Airbnb thing. Uh, Brent's doing more, um, the buy stuff, doing, adding units to it, um, doing legal conversions and creating duplexes, triplexes, adding all sorts of suites to different properties that, that you're allowed to do that with. Um, but for a young person or even you know, say someone in their fifties, sixties, whose kids are getting, uh, you know, are, are leaving the house and they're looking to like help them out with something. What are some of the creative, um, you know, avenues to do that? Like I'm thinking things that people haven't probably heard of before, maybe like a, a rent to own or, a, uh, even a vendor take back mortgage. Like people do people know what those things are. Um, and like, yeah, maybe just touch on a couple of things like that, that are, that are more like in the creative and uh avenue and then we can we'll send the listeners all over to learn about them on your podcast <laughs> so yeah we haven't really talked much about rent to own or vendor take back but we could touch on them briefly um yeah so like our rent to own is is where uh let's say you were lucas you're looking for a house and you didn't have the down payment now but maybe you got 10 or 20 grand so i'll say look i'm going to take 20 grand as a deposit a non-refundable deposit but that counts towards your down payment so we're going to make an agreement that in three years, you're going to buy this house. So you are going to pay me rent every month. And that's not, again, non-refundable, but we can count that towards your down payment as well. So at the end of three years, you have some time to save up and um, save up the rest of the down payment. So what you've been paying to me accrues as a down payment and I can show the bank yeah, like yeah, he it. paid. What's that? A part of it, not all of it, right? Depends on yeah, how yeah, nice depends, the person yeah. is to you. Yeah, how, how you structure it, right? So you could say, you know, market rent is fifteen hundred bucks. You're going to pay me two grand, yeah. And the rent is just the rent, but that five hundred bucks a month, um, I still keep that. But at the end of the term, if you follow through, that five hundred bucks a month uh, goes towards your down payment as well. Yep. And so if everything is is good at the end, then uh, you we have a pre uh, agreed upon price for the house and we might you know increase it by five percent a year in value or something and uh at the end of those three years you buy that house from me mm -hmm. so the i guess the sort of little known secret about rent to owns is that only 50 percent of people actually ever follow through and buy the house yeah. so it can be pretty lucrative for somebody um to you know to offer their home as a rent to own because they know that a lot of the time people aren't going to follow through. So that deposit is non-refundable, right? And I you're locking that. in a price too. Yeah. And it's like guaranteed. Yeah. 
but yeah, for yeah, it's guaranteed. Like on both so sides. So the reason, well, the reason so, it's kind of fallen out of favor is the the rate of uh, growth of house prices. Yes, where people locked it in for five or three or six percent, but the house prices went up 20. 10, 20, 30 yeah. percent a year, right? So in that case, they kind of lost, but it's a contract, and you got to honor it. So yeah. great for the people who, uh, and in the end, you still, you still do fine. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, rent to own isn't nearly as popular as it once was. Although in today's to market, maybe. Um, like if you're possibly, looking to... but it's everything is so uncertain that well, I don't think anybody is really. I don't as a as an investor, I don't know if I would want to do that. Right, just yeah. over so like a two or three year term. Yeah, you're gonna go two, three years, <laughs> maybe a bit longer. Well, I think what Ty is getting at too is the creative, uh, creative solution aspect. So if you're a parent and you want to help your kids, oh, there's okay, a potential yeah. for some of these uh, methods to be used as a way of doing that, right? Because yeah. you're not just gonna buy a house and give it to your kids, um, probably, right? Um, especially if you have like six or seven kids and you're, you know, how do I qualify for all these loans and do all that? Um, so yeah, I don't know if we can have time or whatever to get into the weeds and all kinds of different creative solutions, but I think, um, it is important to highlight that there are creative ways that we can, um, help people get in that might not be conventional or might not be thought about just like, Oh, I have to work and buy a house. Um, and Oftentimes they, there is trade-offs, right? Like you're going to, maybe you're going to trade off some of the, um, the equity to someone else, or you're going to have to share the home with other people, or you're going to have to spend a lot of time doing sweat equity and working, um, and building up some of the value that way. Right. Um, but that said, like, there's still, um, there still are options out there that, um, could be considered. Right. So, right. Do you want to just touch on quickly what a vendor take back is? Compared really. to a rent home? Okay, fair enough. It's yeah, basically so like it's, you don't have the rent part of it, right? Yeah, well, or it's so like a mortgage, is, uh, the mortgage that the seller takes on. Yeah, so generally the uh, generally speaking, this is where the vendor owns the property outright. Yeah. This is a, you can do it with partial ownership, but l- let's just say he owns it outright. So I own a place the that's seller. worth 500,000 um, bucks and I'm going to sell it. Yep. So... And, and this is sort of the, you know, if you're talking about parents, this would be like using private equity almost. But uh, the idea is, um, as the owner, I will take a, per- a down payment and I'm going to hold the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take, let's say, 50 grand from you. Yep. And then we'll agree on a $2,000 a month mortgage payment. Sure. And then, you know, maybe if this is going to be an investment property, you want to have an exit strategy. Yep. Um, so at the end of that time, you know, you as a the buyer, as an investor, need to show me how you're going to pay off the rest in five years, for example. Sure. So whether that's a refinance and a loan from the bank or you're just saving up money or whatever it is. But um, essentially, the, the buyer holds that mortgage. So they have to have trust in the, uh, the sorry, seller, the, the seller, seller, holds, seller the mortgage. holds mortgage. They have to have trust that the buyer is going to uh, to do that. So if you're doing it as an investment strategy, you need to have like a really good plan. If it's like a parent selling it to their their kid, then yeah, there's more trust there. And there's tax um, advantages as well because now you're not triggering capital gains tax on that full, let's say you bought it for 100,000, it's now worth 500,000. As soon as you sell it, you've got $400,000 that goes towards capital gains tax. 
if you do a $50,000 uh, down payment, okay, that might qualify for, uh, for taxation, but the rest, rest of that amount doesn't. So At all, can, ever? Eventually, yes. Yeah, but you spread it over but multiple gonna, years. Yeah, because even the, yeah. the money that you're getting, yeah, you're, yeah. that qualifies because they're buying it from you, um, but you're spreading that out. Yep. And so depending on your income situation and so forth, uh, it can be it can be a really good solution for someone who's built up a lot of equity but doesn't want to lose it all in capital gains. Mm-hmm, or again, for a parent selling it to um, to their, their kid, it can work out for the parent. It's just like them selling it to anybody else and the kids are going to pay a competitive interest rate, but at least it's available to them. Right, right, right. So, but what if the kids can't qualify at the bank in like well, five years down the road? Oh, well, you got to figure that. Well, you can yeah, hold yeah, that yeah. mortgage forever. I suppose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If, if you're not too worried about it, then the yeah. parent could just hold it for whatever time. Or they could take a partner. Yep. Right? You can get creative with it. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of... Uh, and partnerships are one of the more creative ways that we've seen for young folks to get into the market now. Because as, as soon as you have a partner, right, you drop that your liability 50%, that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Do you have like some general numbers for people? Like I've been told like generally if you have no debt, 5X your income is what you'd be approved for without any other sort of info on the table. This was like two or three years ago when I was getting to place. Yeah, I, I don't know. Talk to a mortgage Talk broker. Talk to a mortgage broker. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, because they do have the stress testing and uh, whatnot, yeah. right? So, yeah, that yeah. would have changed because the stress test is 2% above current rates and current rates are uh, very high. Loco. Mm-hmm. Which historically, I guess, are not that high, but from... Uh, we'll yeah, hopefully we don't there, hit the actually. 80s or whatever that wasn't yeah. like. Well, everybody cites the, the 80s, high teens. but if you do the average, we're actually, I think, probably close to or above the average of the last right. 50 years, the 80s notwithstanding. Interesting. So, so yeah. hopefully come and back again, down. Again, and again, that price to income uh, ratio is skewed. So mm-hmm. okay, so I don't know. It comes down to education at the end of the day. Really, get to know the market better, get to know real estate better, and do what you can to get in because it's a sound and stewardly use of your money. Yeah, the education right. is so freely available, and you want to talk about being a steward? Like I say, it's so freely freely available that it would be unstewardly not to take advantage of it there's no reason you can't find out for free lots of free resources about uh, real estate and about investing yeah um i mean about anything but especially in in what we're talking about it's all out there so educate yourself absolutely don't bury your head in the sand use your talents you said it lucas yeah (laughs) (laughs) right on well anything you guys want to close off with or plug or anything before we're done well, just to wrap up with that too, um, financial literacy is uh, readily accessible. It's also important, but so is action and and doing something too, right? Because you you can learn all you want, but if you don't actually apply it to anything, um, you know you're not going to get anywhere. And that's very true for finances, especially, right? Because in real estate, as with the, uh, like a lot of investments with business as well. Um, it takes time. So the longer that you kind of postpone and, um, you know, analyze or look at what you're doing, um, maybe you get a little bit smarter, but you know, the best, the best thing to do is to start learning by taking action, actually make some mistakes. I've made so many mistakes and I still make mistakes. They're just probably different ones because I've learned from the other ones, but yeah, like you're not going to figure it out until you actually go to the bank and tell them you you want this. And they're like, what? 
Yeah. It's like, well, I heard it on a podcast. And they're like, oh, okay. You're, listening you're to one of those Stewart guys. Yeah, you're really <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's the loan. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, you know so, Brent Mark. Yeah, okay. You're good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'd say, like, you have to do everything with prayer. Yeah. Right? Examine your motives. We talk, we're in the real estate space. We talk about money and real estate all the time, and it's easy to get sucked into consumerism and, um, just, you know, worshiping money, yep. right? But really examine your motives and make sure you're coming from the right place. And the way to do that is, you know, is read your Bible. So that's like the first step of real estate investment, read your Bible. Yep. It's the first step of anything, right? And then pray about it and yep. um, and make sure that your heart, right? God wants your heart. Um, make sure that that is in the right place and that, you know, whatever wherever you are on your journey, that you're continually refocusing on God and on the work of the kingdom. Because if, if you're given gifts and you're, you know, whether it's financial or other talents, um, they're, they're, they're gifts. We always forget that, right? Like I work hard for my money. I made money. It's mine. It's not yours. God gave it to you. I don't care if you work 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week for it. It's God gave that to you and it's for you to use as a steward. That's the whole allegory of the steward, right? It's not yours. So use it wisely. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess just to plug our podcast, which is uh, why we're in the same room together. That would be very wise to do, Brent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we, we have committed ourselves to kind of continuing this education. We're, we're obviously on a learning journey ourselves. We don't have all the answers, but yeah. we love to ask each other questions and uh, learn. And, you know, we read a lot. We listen a lot, study a lot. So... Um, at some point we probably plan to have guests on, but yeah, this, the podcast is called the two stewards show. Um, you can find it wherever and, uh, probably add it to this and sure. Yeah. Um, you got social media. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we, I don't think we have a social media for the podcast, but if anybody wants, you to, post videos sometimes, I post videos on, uh, hey, the I'm good, good stewards page. I'm building yeah. this. <laughs> so, um, you can follow, um, myself, uh, Brent, like at good stewards, uh, goodstewards.ca you can find our social media there um and uh follow what we're doing and we're always happy to chat like we we uh we definitely have people down to the office and discuss if any questions or stuff that comes up then yeah it's exciting for us to help people so good stuff well yeah well thanks everyone for listening to the show thanks you guys for coming on yeah it's been uh it's been a blast honestly it's been a lot of fun it's an important topic i think a lot of people care about real estate and uh Hopefully, uh, yeah, you guys have educated a few people today. And yeah, like you said, if, if people want to learn more, Good Stewards Show, fantastic resource. Two Stewards Show. Sorry, Good Stewards is the company. Two Stewards Show is the... And his <laughs> company is... Joy Hill. Uh, yeah, Joy Hill. Yep. You can Google it. It's yeah, right. yeah, just Google me. I'll show up. <laughs> right on. Oh, and I should give a plug for RP too. Uh, a couple editions ago, they did. They talked a lot about housing. I believe you were quoting that, Brent, if not. Yeah. yeah I don't know, Mark, yourself as well, or... No, it was just Brent. Just Brent. He's, yeah. uh, he's the, the resident expert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. yeah no. We have, we have to write a letter back to them too because they oh, yeah? kind of made a few mistakes. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, forthcoming. Breaking news. Yeah. All right, rebuttal. We'll stay tuned yeah. for that rebuttal. Yeah, hot <laughs> off the presses. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. Yeah, no, good stuff. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, thank you very much. Until next time, folks. Keep having real talk. We'll catch you then. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. 
we really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.